For Bristol UK, I'm Pomi Harmer. And I'm Melissa Shamam, and this is The Quarantini. We're bringing you this podcast every week to keep your spirits up and until the COVID crisis in the UK has ended. So, as with every week, today we'll bring you a mix of ingenious responses to the virus, creative ideas for the future, and a dash of the unexpected. And as usual, a big thank you to Seb Gutierrez and the Old Bones Collective for music. So welcome back, everybody, and particularly welcome back, Melissa. You've just come back from Paris this week, your home city, but more of that later. Let's just hear what's coming up in the show. Well, we have an interview with Natalie Fay from City to Sea. And the mixer part of the show will include, as usual, a roundup of exciting responses to the coronavirus. And for the dash of something exciting, we've got something really, really special for you this week. Tell us all about it, Melissa. Yes, we have music from a special band, from a special group of people from here in Bristol, but they're quite, you know, the most international band. Uh, they are named Massive Attack and um, <laughs> they have launched quite an incredible, interesting, fascinating project mixing visual music, art and politics. This month, it came out about 10 days ago. Three songs that they have produced with uh, international artists like Saul Williams, the Young Fathers, and the American band called Algiers, who are very political as well. They have teamed up for music videos and interviews to bring to us three intelligent solutions to all the main current crisis. So what they've done is that they've teamed up with an expert speaking over their stunning music and extraordinary videos to address the climate and the tax justice issues as well as the idea of universal basic income. So the three tracks are amazing, so it's really hard to decide, but I've chosen one of the title-less track. Um, it's with the band Young Fathers. They are from Scotland and they have toured with Massive Attack prior. And it features Guy Standing, a professor and research associate at SOAS University in London, and the founding member and honorary co-president of the Basic Income Hearst Network, which is a non-governmental organization that promotes a basic income for all. This is the entire music with um, Guy Standing in the vocals. In the past 40 years, in almost every country in the world, the owners of physical, financial, and intellectual property have taken a growing I share of the income, while the share going to people reliant on jobs and labor has shrunk. Today, a tiny, obscenely wealthy plutocracy and a well-padded salariat confront a growing precariat, consisting of millions of people with bits and pieces lives, stagnant and uncertain fluctuating earnings, and living on the edge of unsustainable debt. Those trends are the result of policy decisions that have made economies and societies more fragile and less resilient to shocks. They have raised eight giants that block the road to a good society. Inequality, insecurity, debt, stress, precarity, automation, extinction, and neo-fascist populism. 
current pandemics may become a ninth giant. To escape economic slump and tackle the nine giants, everyone needs basic economic security. That is a public good, and it would improve public health. A modest, regular basic income paid to all individuals as a right, without condition, would also boost demand for basic goods and services, kick-starting the real world. It could be clawed back from the wealthiest through the tax system. While no panacea, a basic income as a right would rescue millions from economic hardship curbing homelessness, suicides, and starvation. It would strengthen resilience, helping people to cope with shocks and setbacks better. And it would aid recovery by giving people the ability and confidence to spend. It would also be a much fairer use of public resources than the current morass of selectives. Longer term, experiments in various countries show that basic income security leads to better health, reduced debt, more productive work, improved status for women, and more harmonious family relationships. really fabulous wasn't it yes have a look at the visual if you can on youtube everything is released for free by the band in order to communicate on those fantastic ideas and it's all a mix of really intelligence and beautiful uh, collaboration with um, a filmmaker called mark don and an artist using artificial intelligence to transform the visuals the morphing of faces called a mario klingerman So it's now time for our weekly roundup. But before that, let's just remind listeners how they can get hold of us. Yes, you can all email us at thequarantinepodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Okay, so let's start with Bristol. What's happening here? So my favourite initiative is that art galleries are now reopening. So I was not really looking forward for pubs reopening because I think we can live without them if we have to make a choice. But art galleries are my favourite places. So just to name a few, the RWA over there on Queen's Road is to reopen on the 1st of August and the Arnold Feeney in the centre in the heart of Bristol in the harbour is reopening just so soon on the 30th of July. It's, and I have to say, I had a little sneak preview there because I work with them. It's um, a fantastic show, super colourful, very dynamic and super positive uh, with uh, Moroccan-born and London-based visual artist Hassan Hajaj. Hassan so grew up in Marrakesh when he was a kid and moved to London as a teenager, worked with amazing people there. It was part of a huge scene in London and he's 
quite a fan of Bristol as well because he's got some friends here. He's, he's also a good fan of Ronnie Soys. I've met with him and I think we'll hear more about that very soon, Pommy, in the Quarantini podcast. Um, it's unmissable. It's full of colour. It's full of energy and joy. And you'll see, ironically, he's got all these portraits of people wearing you know, face covering and gowns because he's using references to the Muslim culture. And and weirdly enough, with us wearing masks because of the coronavirus, it seems like some sort of magical transformation or something that's grim into something that is inspiring. It's really uncanny. Oh, wow. I'm really going to see that. That sounds really interesting and, and looks amazing. So on to commuting. Some of you will be going back to work and you may have now in Bristol the chance to commute on an open top COVID safe bus. It's a crowdsourced service and it's run by a company called Snap. And so it's just available in response to demand. So if enough people want it by signing up on the website, then they say it will happen. So what you have to do is register your commute on the Snap website. That's the company. And when there's enough matches, you just book the days you want, pick either an executive coach or an open top bus and away you go. That sounds great, doesn't it? I totally love that. It's perfect. We should keep it forever. Apparently they've been doing it between cities for a fiver. So um, it'll obviously cost a lot less than that. So it'd be quicker and easier. And I think you're socially distanced on the bus. So you've got all this, you know. You'll be completely safe as you travel to work. Open air view. Hopefully it's not going to rain too much. <laughs> well, then you get an executive coach if it Lovely. rains. Well done. Oh, I love Bristol. So many people believe in changing and bringing new things. So that's, this is one of, of them. I'll definitely support that as a non-driver. Everywhere else in the UK, I wanted to mention Farms to Feed Us. It's an initiative that connects people with farmers and growers across the country directly. It was set up uh, by food activists during lockdown. And this new project was launched by a group of food activists and farmers in order to help to bring fresh produce uh, directly from farms to people's plate. It's an open database of small-scale farms and growers from all over the country, and they sell vegetables, meat, dairy items, and other produce direct to the public. There are more than 300 producers listed on the database, and, um, more, and more are added every week. It's called, again farms to feed us yes i've seen this i've seen the database and it's got all the bristol farms that i can think of on there so it's doing really well it's a great idea i hope it's the future because you know there's all these distribution centers and supermarkets that getting all the money from us buying food and they're not the one really doing the food so this needs rethinking and i think this initiative could start it all and, and it just helps people know where to get local food all right, so we have been busy bees these last few months and the sales of sewing machines by John Lewis have increased 127% since lockdown began. Everybody's out there buying sewing machines. Elastic sales have gone up 1,430%. I don't really understand what that means, but it just sounds like a huge amount. Wow. Uh, and this is um, because this is thanks to the rise of making face coverings. So even after lockdown began to ease and shops reopened on the 15th of June, many flocked to Hobbycraft as well to stock up on their kit, with the store reporting that sewing machines were one of the best-selling items that day. 
Do you sew, Melissa? Well, not really, but I totally support that. I think it's fantastic that people are getting to produce their own items. It's, of course, masks, but it can go easily to other things. And I totally support yeah. buying from a friend. So I've been, I have a few friends who's, you know, their teenage children or their wife are using the sewing machines and I've already ordered some items to them in support, you know. Oh, I think I'm going to get my sewing machine. Yeah, you should. Make a mask at least. Right. Another initiative I love is Rewilding Britain. It's a plan to restore um, area the size of Manchester with trees and, and nature. This is a new network planning to rewind 300,000 acres of land in the country um, in a bid to boost biodiversity and, of course, to tackle climate change. The conservation charity is called Rewilding Britain and is ramping up efforts to rewild the UK, starting with this project. The charity's new rewilding network will bring together farmers, landowners, community groups who are rewilding or considering doing so and provide them with expert advice and a forum to share information and ideas. The charity launched these initiatives to help reverse the alarming collapse of UK wildlife, which has left 56% of species in decline and 15% threatened with total extinction. And if you're interested in rewilding, there's a fantastic book by, amazingly, Isabella Tree oh, wow. uh, called Wilding, which is all about their efforts rewilding a huge amount of land in uh, Surrey, I think, just south of London. Uh, and it's it's excellent, excellent book. Now, we've already been protecting ourselves from coronavirus with masks, visors and hand sanitizer. But now it seems the latest must have in our COVID fighting arsenal is antiviral clothing. This is a first for me. I've never heard of this. Hmm. The Italian brand Diesel has launched a new line of denim that promises virus protection for the lifetime of your jeans, no matter how often you wash them. The denim is treated with an application called Viral Off in the final stages of production and works by interacting with key proteins. And it'll be available to buy from next spring. It seems a bit magical. <laughs> Dr... Yeah, well, Dr. Pa you're quite right. Dr. Barat Pankania, senior clinical lecturer at the University of Exeter Medical School, is not, however, convinced and wants to see more evidence. He questioned how something that can be applied to a fabric could retain viricidal properties for the lifetime of the fabric. And he also wondered how protecting your legs from the virus would really help. I think he's got a point, hasn't he? I don't know. Maybe it's just um, it's just um, stunt you know, for the brands, but maybe there's maybe something going on under there and, you know, being protected by other sort of like pieces of clothing. Maybe and it future. might develop into something else. Exactly. Mind it. So it's good to do research. Hello and welcome to Bristol Airport. You've just come back from Paris and I'm aching to hear all about it. So tell us, what was it like getting there, first of all? 
Yes, so that was my main worry, actually. I didn't really want to travel now. I know that we were allowed to go um, abroad for tourism, but I really wanted to be cautious, you know, you don't want to increase the crisis. But I had a lot of issues to settle because I haven't been able to go to France. And my main worry was about, you know, the planes, the airports. So, unfortunately, um, the queue at Bristol Airport was surprisingly long because, you know, I had oh, a very... Oh, really, was it? Yes, I had a very early flight. So I thought it's probably one of the first flights, so the airport should be empty. As some friends have texted me photos of there, and the message on the board, on the billboards, was that you were queuing because the 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 staff would take your temperature, okay. which I wasn't aware of. So I was a bit puzzled, like, oh, if we were aware of that, we would have come in advance. But finally, you know what, Pommy, they never took our temperature. So obviously, everybody was really stressed because. Yeah. First they were like, oh, why weren't we toured before? And then, then you, by the time you queue, you'll be like, oh, that's a very safe idea, actually. And then we were not taking our temperature. So then you become suspicious of everybody else around you. So I think it's a really weird method. Maybe that's because it's the first days and they will improve that. Second disappointment was that I was sure we would be flying with, you know, more space in the plane, that it would only sell one seat um, and, and have an empty seat next to every passenger because that's what kind of what was promised by the trains, companies and all, but not at all, not with the uh, low-cost company that I booked. So luckily I was with another French lady uh, with a, a tiny baby and everybody was really delightful and respectful. But still, you're quite very close on a plane, Absolutely. are you not? So if you don't want to face this experience, then, you know, maybe try to fly, try to not fly and use other means of transport if you're going okay. on holidays. And then you got to Paris and what was it like? What's the difference? What's different in France than from the UK? So obviously France has normally dealt with the virus quite well and there are not so many cases anymore but Paris is a big city and it's very very dense so there are a lot of people around and you can't travel without taking lots of transport right metro which is the underground and other sort of trains and buses and so the city added a lot of cycle lanes but because people are not really prepared for them there's still this sort of clash between people walking on the sidewalk and a cyclist and other means of whatever, you know, like um, motorized mini scooters. But everyone's wearing a mask in the transport, which is really surprising regarding the fact that those people are a bit of rebellious, angry complainers. <laughs> but everybody's following the rules for that. And you have to wear a mask every time you enter a closed space, so whether an art gallery, a bar, a restaurant. Which is a bit weird because when you go to a restaurant, and it will be the same here, right? You, you, you wear your mask and then you have to eat. So obviously you take off your mask, right? Um, I guess it's just to protect the staff. But if generally it felt really strange because it was really sunny, really warm, and there were so many people outside acting like there was not a global pandemic, that it's a tragedy and that it's been going on for five months with the highest death toll in a long time. Uh, but in the same terms with the visibility of the mask and, and, and sort of like adverts and, and notices everywhere, then you're reminded of it as well. So I felt a bit nostalgic. You know, Paris used to be yes. a feast, as the novel said back in the days. Um, and it's, it's a bit sad in a way because people are trying to live a normal life, but you really can't. And it's, I think it's more visible in a very populated city. 
So I've not been to London in a while, but I think it's probably the same sort of experience. People have to go to work, they have to shop, they have to go out, they have to meet, but then there's this sort of awkwardness and coldness and lack of joy and lots of pretense. But, I mean, this, this is the year 2020, what can we do? Okay, thank you very much, Melissa. Good to have you back. Now it's time for our interview. This is an interview with Natalie Fay, who's the founder of City to Sea, and this is an organisation whose aims are to stop plastic pollution. Natalie is going to tell us about how she became interested in this and what inspired her to take it on. And she's based here in Bristol. Here she is. I started City to Sea back in 2015, but it was 2014 when I got switched on to the problem of plastic pollution. I was working for Made in Bristol TV at the time and I'd become aware of the plastic pollution problem, not so much in Bristol at that point, but in the Pacific. And I saw the footage of the albatross chicks in the Midway Islands, thousands of miles away from any major landmass, basically dying on a diet of plastic. And it was absolutely horrendous and devastating to see. I couldn't believe what I was witnessing. And that was the catalyst for me, really. I I felt a, a calling, if you, if you want to put it that way, that I knew I had to do something about that problem in particular. Yes. Now, I think you're an international organisation, but you started here in Bristol, is that right? Our offices have been in central Bristol since uh, I think we first got our first office in Stokescroft in 2016 when we became um, a community interest company. And our campaigns were really developed to sort of be piloted in Bristol and then we thought that they might be able to be replicated in other parts of the the UK and potentially in other parts of the world, which has happened, actually. We piloted campaigns and initiatives here and they've been taken on and, and rolled out around the UK and beyond. OK, so tell us about one of your campaigns, one that you've been involved in that you're really excited about. I'd say like one of the campaigns that I'm most proud of is our Rethink Periods campaign, which is a, a campaign to provide unbiased education around periods in schools and an education which teaches students about the environmental impact of periods as well as debunking myths and taboos and it's a very accessible free training program for for schools and it's been rolled out across uh, 600 schools in the UK we've reached I think over I think over 100,000 students and provided 80 um, no 600 I think free boxes of like all different kinds of reusable period products from menstrual cups to washable period pads and pants um, trained up loads of ambassadors so these ambassadors can go out and give these trainings uh, for free in schools around the UK and that was part funded by Waitrose and we worked with the Women's Environmental Network to deliver that 
Um, and it's been really exciting and I'm really proud of it. It's really changing people's lives and um, and and really making a difference. And so, yeah, um, a lot of plastic from period products gets flushed down the loo in the UK every day with, with negative consequences for the sewers and for the seas. So um, so that's a, one of our campaigns that I'm particularly um, excited about at the moment. So lately... Obviously, we've been living through lockdown and the coronavirus, and we've seen reports in the news about PPE, masks in particular, finding their way into our seas. And I wanted to ask you if you have any ideas about what we should do with our masks, as they're now obviously becoming a really big part of our lives. We've seen a huge rise in the amount of plastics being used through PPE, through disposable gloves, as well as masks. And, and a lot of people don't realise that the masks are made of layers of single-use plastic and, and different kinds of plastic. And these masks are not recyclable and generally they are designed to be disposed of. So they're, they're essentially another form of single-use plastic. So at city to see We've been talking about the importance of using a reusable mask. So having a mask that you can wash, even having a couple of masks that you can, you know, alternate between using, throw them in the wash bin when, you, when you've worn them for the day. And, and it will make a huge difference in terms of reducing the amount of waste. There was a study that came out from um, University College London and it said that if everyone in the UK used just one face mask a day for a year, it would create 66,000 tonnes of contaminated plastic waste and 10 times more climate change impact than using reusable masks. So definitely a good thing that we can all be doing is making sure we make or buy a reusable washable mask. My feeling is there's been a lot more single-use plastic around. Do you, do you think that's true? What's your view on that? There is no doubt that the amount of single-use plastic that's now being used is is definitely a setback for the the movement to 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 stop the sort of onslaught of single-use plastics. Now, I'm I'm not overly concerned about it because I think it is just a a blip. I don't think we're going to keep using that amount of single-use plastics. I think there's been too much work done. The laws are still going ahead, so the EU is still banning single-use plastics, a number of items, um, in in the autumn of this year. Uh, the UK is still going ahead with that ban as well. And so it, I don't think it's going to sort of massively dial back all the work that's happened. However, it is a problem and... The good news is that you can still use your reusable cups. Uh, you can still use your reusable bottles. Water fountains are, are kind of um, being reopened. And in terms of coffee shops, we, we at city to see launched a campaign called Contactless Coffee. So if people want to look at the video for that, if you just search city to see Contactless Coffee, there's a, a kind of a simple guide that you can show your local cafe how they can provide you with a, a, a contactless uh, refill of your of your coffee cup. And we've formed a, sort of an industry-wide task force, so kind of with people like Starbucks and Costa and some sort of other leaders in, in the takeaway areas uh, to talk about getting reusables back on the menu. So you can actually do it. You just might need to have a conversation with the person doing it. Okay. 
Oh, well, that's good news. That's some good news to tell everybody. Um, And finally, Natalie, on the Quarantini, we always want to look to the future and see if there's anything positive that will come out of this pandemic. So what is your vision for the future? And maybe what do you think has been encouraged or perhaps accelerated by COVID? I think with the move towards more home deliveries, we actually do have a greater chance with home deliveries of, of, of really implementing some really good refill systems. So we're getting people even sort of further up the waste hierarchy, which means focusing more on refill and reuse before recycle. So um, because ultimately we want to be using less plastic because of its um, not just its environmental impact when it's thrown away, but also the environmental impact when it's made because it's made from fossil fuels and it it also has a, a significant climate change impact. So trying to get people off of plastics when you when you're having your kind of home deliveries there's a greater chance that we're going to be able to see more systems there's one that's just been launched called loop and that's in partnership with tesco's and they're actually now going to be delivering things like deodorant ice cream um some fizzy drinks uh yogurt and things like that in reusable packaging so you just rinse it out and then they collect it next you know the next time it's delivered so I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of those reuse schemes coming to the foreground. And I'm also heartened, and I'd say in terms of looking forwards of, you know, what what we're bringing with us um, from the lessons that we've learned throughout the, the pandemic is, I think, closer communities and a lot of the WhatsApp groups and the... um, generally the kind of more communication and, and support between neighbours and street specific in a lot of cases um that that is enabled a, a deeper sense of resilience i think and i think going forwards we're going to need community resilience and sharing of seeds sharing of food um reducing waste in that way um and also really paving the way for for conversations around things like um, plastic things like diversity um, things that we might not really have spoken to our neighbours about before but now we we generally a lot of us have closer relationships with our neighbours as a result of um, coronavirus so I think keeping that going and building on that as a as a tool for um, for for creating closer communities is something that that I can see really supporting us. That sounds really heartening doesn't it? So Natalie, how can people find out more about what you do? I just think if people are inspired to find out more, then um, we've got the City to See website um, and our refill website and people can download the app and have a little play with that. And also my book is available if people are interested in reading not just about plastics, but about all of the environmental issues that we're facing, but then want some practical solutions that everyone can do, then um, How to Save the World for Free is available online, as well as from your local bookshops. Thank you so much for talking to us today and sharing a quarantini. Thanks, Pommy. Lovely to share one with you. Wonderful. So now it's nearly time to finish. But before we go, how about some more of Massive Attack? Um, As you may imagine, I've been following this project very closely because I've I've been writing about the band for years. And so this is three tracks addressing some of the 
biggest crisis of our time. Uh, this track is about climate emergency um, and it's um, with vocals by American band Algiers featuring the amazing Christiana Figuris. She's the woman behind the uh, Paris Climate Agreement from 2015 and she explains here how we can tackle climate change um, step by step. The track has not any other name than just climate emergency. Before the COVID-19 crisis crashed into our world, governments were already facing the convergence of the climate crisis, the inequality crisis, and the oil price crisis. Now, the fourth. The global health crisis has not only converged on us as well, but has accelerated the impacts of the previous crisis, deepening economic disorder and accentuating social suffering. In emerging from this, everyone can play their part, individually and collectively. The future we choose should be one of resilience, starting with aligning the food system to the four principles set out by the FAO. Availability, access, utilization, and stability. Well before COVID-19, fossil fuels were already showing signs of irreversible decline. They will recover somewhat from the historically low prices, but they will not recover their previous place as the engine of growth and development. We now know that their use is polluting our lungs and loading our atmosphere. to a clean, healthy economy requires that businesses, investors, and citizens each play their part alongside governments. Governments can be excellent first movers, and their development finance institutions often are. There has never been a more critical role for them than now. The social fabric of our world, the health of democracies, and the well-being of people can either be destroyed or made stronger by a crisis such as the one we're in. We need to choose this crisis as the moment to anchor ourselves back into the reason humans live in collectives. We are stronger and more resilient together. We will need this solidarity to face what's ahead, rise to the crises, and thrive beyond them. It's a unique privilege that our generation can forge a healthy, bustling future through our actions today. The future we choose is in the hands of each of us, alive right now. That's it for the Quarantini this week. We'll be back next week with a new cocktail of ideas and positive news for you all. This podcast was hosted by me, Melissa Shemam. And was hosted and produced by me, Pommy Harmer. Thank you so much for listening. And stay safe.